Intro. This is the intro. We're actually recording right now. This is the intro. This is the introduction. Welcome to the introduction of the Two Half Squads. And this is a podcast dedicated to the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. I am Dave. I am Jeff. We are Jeff and Dave. And Dave and Jeff, we never did come to a determination. I think you're leading toward Dave and Jeff, though. No, I thought it was Jeff and Dave because it sounded better. It's the, the agreement... Or the argument goes on, I guess. So, good to see you, Dave. Good to see you, sir. I guess we don't have any time for any banter, do we? Not really. We've got a very good interview with a very nice chap from overseas, from where we are, relative to where the broadcast foxhole is. It's overseas, Oliver Gray over in Scotland. I guess he's in Scotland. He was. He is today, yes. He is today in Scotland. Is the Arab Emirates or somewhere else? Yeah, I guess he travels travels and... He's Works a, and things like that. He's a troubadour, isn't he? Travels around and sings songs. Sing songs. Is that what he does? On his mandolin. Yeah. Should we get right on with it, or well, do you want to say let's, anything? Let's give anything? him a call. All right, let's call him. Hello? Oliver Gray, it's Jeff and Dave from the Two Half Squads. Hello. Can you hear us okay? Yes, I hear you fine. Okay, great. We had a little echo on the line, but I think that must be because the transatlantic cable is uh, <laughs> snarled up somewhere. <laughs> Maybe a shark gnawed on it. Yeah, and, it and it's a little damaged, but it's working. So we have yeah. Ollie on the line. Yeah. Oliver Gray, Hi. everybody. Took us a while to get through to you because the overseas operator uh, was having trouble making the connection. <laughs> ah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> remember those days. So the, oh, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. So tell us uh, about yourself, Oliver. Oh, wow. <laughs> what to say? Um, I've, uh, I don't know where to start. Tell us a little about your gaming background. My gaming background. Um, I started gaming when I was about seven or eight years old with the old SPI war games uh, that were available in the UK. Um, that would be probably around about 1968, 69. And then my gaming sort of staggered for a while. And then I introduced some friends in the late 70s to various board games. And I came home one day uh, from the, the one weekend from the Air Force. And a couple of my friends said, hey, we've got a new game to let you see and for you to try. We love it. We're hooked. And it was Squad Leader. And my life hasn't been the same ever since, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Yeah, because um, because we're calling you, and that wouldn't have happened if yeah. you didn't discover that game. Yeah, well, that that's true. Yes. Um, no, um, I was I was hooked after two or three scenarios, and I went out and bought at the time just uh, Squad Leader and Cross of Iron were out, and then as the modules came out, I was buying them up, and I was lucky enough in the Air Force, one of the guys in my barrack block played Squad Leader as well. So every time a new module came out, we played the scenarios. You know, one of you know playing them myself as the Axis, him as the allies, and then we'd swap over the following night and we played through every scenario. Um, and then it just continued from there. 50 years of gaming. We don't want yeah. you to feel old, but man, is that old. <laughs> <laughs> I wish That's I had nice. started. I'm, I'm probably this, about the same age as you. I wish mm-hmm. I had started in uh, 1969 because I, I missed a lot of gaming back in those days. The early SPI games, I... I still read. There are very active forums on SPI. Um, yes, I know. I follow them. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Do you still play any of that old stuff? 
no, I don't have any. My parents, uh, once I sort of joined the Air Force, my parents had a clean out and threw them all out. Oh, yeah. Much oh, yeah. to my annoyance. Yes. <laughs> I've still got some. I've got some of the quad games up in my loft. Um, but uh, they haven't seen the light of day for probably about 10 to 15 years. Right. Uh, I play mainly ASL. I've got back into uh, Star Fleet Battles uh, after many years of not having it. I sold it to buy other gaming things. But I've dabbled in uh, figure figure gaming, role-playing games, um, and such like. My main period, figure-wise, was uh, American Civil War, uh, Gland, oh. and uh, ACW Naval. Okay. The um, and that's what size? Fifteen millimeter, twenty fives. Uh, fifteen mil um for the the actual figures, and one six hundred for the uh, naval. Okay. So, uh, I was quite lucky when I was in the air force that we had uh, very active uh, games clubs, um, especially over in Germany, uh, where we actually organised uh, tournaments for. American, Canadian, French, and British forces uh, on British bases. And we got uh, traders coming from Germany, uh, Belgium, and the UK to come and actually sell their wares at the tournaments, which was really quite lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Never would have thought that in the armed forces there would be gaming. I don't know why. but <laughs> I've heard it yeah. from other people, yeah. 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 Yeah, they, they, there's quite a, there was quite a big following. I mean, the the Air Force and the British forces, the Air Force had the biggest selection of uh, gamers. We had an actual um, RAF uh, War Gaming Association, which until probably about 15 years ago, I actually still attended. But then it got a little bit more awkward for civilians to attend, and uh, that fell by the wayside, mainly because of my work, uh, working abroad for so long and uh, working away from home. And how long, how long were you uh, in the Air Force and doing your gaming through that group when you were actually... So, um, well, I was in the Air Force for 22 years, and gaming-wise, uh, with the War Games Clubs, probably about 12 years of that um, uh, was when the, the War Gaming sort of picked up within the Air Force the last 12 years from around about uh, 84 to uh, 90, 98 about 14 years uh, was my sort of active time in the Air Force uh, wargaming. And then when I came out, it was... I still kept in, kept in touch for a few years with the local RAF base. Um, they're still active, in fact. I try and get along there every now and again. But uh, again, because of the nature of my work and being away from home, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, but I'm lucky in the fact with uh, ASL, I've got some very, very good uh, local players and when I've been working away from home, uh, like in Holland, I've had three good friends, Dutch friends, who I played ASL with. Um, one of them is the sort of uh, one of the other collectors in Europe, um, Henny van der Sel, who's a very good friend, and I used to enjoy going down to his house at weekends to have games against him. Um, and I managed to attend a couple of the Dutch tournaments whilst he was over there. Um, how big were the Dutch tournaments? Maybe six um, people or round a dozen? Round the, the, last one, the last one I went to was probably around about um, 20 to 30 guys. Oh, okay. Quite, quite a decent size. Um, I've, I've managed to get to a few of the UK ones. 
Derek Cox is always asking me if I can make it to the double one tournament down near London. Uh, but it always falls for some reason. His tournament always falls when uh, I'm actually away from home, which is a bit annoying. Uh, I've also been invited to go over to uh, a couple of the Spanish tournaments by some of the Spanish players. So I've, I've got to try and organise that because I've been offered accommodation by one of the UK guys that uh, plays, and he's actually employed over in Spain. He works uh, over in Spain as an English teacher. So it's wherever I go with my work, I always try and find somebody lo- local that I can meet up with and possibly arrange to have a game with. Um, it's worked so far until I went to the Arab Emirates, where my nearest player is in Kuwait, um, two countries <laughs> away. So that makes it a little bit more awkward. Yeah, so gaming's just not as popular in the Middle East, I'm um, assuming. Not yeah. these kind of games, at least. No, in the Middle, Middle East, it's... The, They've got some gaming shops. They've got a couple of gaming shops, but it's all most of it is sort of like Euro games and uh, some role playing. Uh, but they, I've only managed to find one gaming shop in the whole Arab Emirates so far, and I haven't been able to get to it. So um, I, I revert to back to my normal thing when I'm away from home, and uh, <clears throat> I clip counters. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what about your uh, your Kind of uh, committed to squad leader. Is that because you have a particular interest in World War II over other historical periods? Or uh... Uh, yes, uh, I, I like American Civil War is one of my uh, favorites as well. But uh, since I, you know, since I got hooked on uh, ASL squad leader and ASL, that's been the, sort of the main game. And because of the, you know, the amount of money I spent on it, I'm more willing to carry on playing. I still enjoy playing. Um, we had a meeting with four of the guys from the east coast of Scotland last Friday, uh, along with Pete Phillips, who's the editor of the oh, yeah. uh, View from the Trenches. Yes, we we love to interview yeah. him. He, he's telling us we can probably learn anything about him from his website and stuff right now. So when if you, <laughs> if you ever yeah, I, if you could tell him how comfortable it is to talk with us, we could interview him sometime in the future. I'd quite happily do that because I think he, he he's got quite a story to tell. And he's been the, the sort of the organizer of most of the UK tournaments for the last twenty years. So uh yeah, he's he's got quite a story to tell. Yeah, the view from the trenches uh, is just amazing. Yeah. I mean in fact the fact that it's now the longest running ASL fanzine speaks for itself. And he's still producing it, so I always look forward to reading it when it comes out. Did you have a family that was if I can get personal in World War Two, yeah. I can only imagine you must have. Um, yes, my father. Uh, my father was uh, on a troop landing ship, and he took part on in the uh, Torch Sicily the Husky, mm-hmm. um, Andio Salerno, and D Day and the Scout Estuary. Wow! He was on troop landing ships on every single one. Um, That's a lot. He was on. I can't remember. It was either Gold or Sword Beach or Normandy, uh, taking the Canadians in. So. Yeah, my dad dad was that, and then my uncle was a a swordfish pilot who went and took done the attacks on the um, turpits up the uh, Norwegian fjords. It's amazing to me. It's it's more amazing to my wife how often the topic of World War Two comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, when we're if we're watching the news, we watch a news show. Uh, it's like a news magazine show called uh, Sunday yeah. Morning. And 
it never fails. They're talking about World War II. It still amazes me how present the topic still is in people's minds. Yeah, uh, I think it's more than people sort of my age. You don't hear it so much from young folk nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I grew up with it. I, I was born in '58, so just you know, less than 15 years after the war ended. So everything was still quite fresh, and I grew up with uh, you know my family. Uh, my uncle was a chindit. Uh, my mum's uh, brother he served in. Uh, Burma, and then her one of her other brothers served in Korea. So my whole family has been sort of in the military, um, and uh, several of my cousins have been in the military as well. So it just sort of follows on. I've, had, I've always had an interest. I'm also um, a scale modeler. I do a lot of 35th scale uh, kits. So it keeps my interest going as well. Um, I'm forever re- buying up books on unit histories and such like for both sides to maybe do some scenario designing and also for the you know the, the photographs and things for the scale modeling side. So uh, yeah, that's that's my main interest nowadays. How many books would you say you have on World War Two? Oh, I honestly couldn't tell you. Probably about 150, 200. Um, they're all things, titles from likes of JJ Fedorovich in Canada. Um, which do some excellent unit histories, but they can be a little bit dry at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I also collect uh, signed signed books by various. Uh, um, there's a company called Pico Publishing, and I've managed to pick up several signed books by them. Uh, I was lucky enough to get two, uh, an English text version and a, a German text version of Tigers in the Mud by Otto Karius, and I got them both signed by the man himself. So they're like my price possessions, book-wise. Now, grow, growing up, it is amazing to think that it was only 15 years, and we are about the same age, about 15 years after World War II that we were born. And so we sort of yeah. remember, like you say, it's very fresh. And Dave, too, is not. No, uh, no. Dave is no spring chicken. I'm a little younger, <laughs> 1960 baby. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You know, to think of, uh, and I, I just, uh, my brother sent me a link the other day to an American TV show called Combat. I don't, you don't know if you've ever the seen old it. old black and white one? Yeah, black and white TV show from I, the 60s. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing it, um, some episodes when I was younger. Yeah. But I've never actually seen it. You know, I've, I've, I've read about it, and I've always thought about trying to find it online, but uh, I've never actually got around to it. It's on YouTube now. At least, at least it is here, which is uh, so. Uh-huh. I started watching it. You'll have to look for it. Um, yeah, I will. But you know, just to think, because now being sixty some years old, when I think fifteen or twenty years ago, it seems like yesterday. And so, yes. when, when we were young lads twenty years ago, for our parents, probably seemed like yesterday. And I, I guess really what I'm leading up to is, did you notice any? Any sense of, gee, we're still recovering here from that war, even when you were a young lad there. Um, like, was there still any of that a feeling? Certain, like, a certain degree, but not not much. Yeah. Um, the thing that got me was when I was in the forces was the the attitude of a lot of British servicemen. Um, even in the seventies and the early eighties, the the attitude of a lot of the army personnel when they were in Germany was. Uh, you know, hey, you know, we won the war, don't forget that sort of thing, which I thought was really a bit crass. 
Um, but you know that was just the the way it was. It, it was back then. Um, but nowadays, um, I don't. I don't think when I look back on it, uh, never really thought along those lines. It was a case of it was over and done with, and we've just got to get on with, you know, rebuilding and you know, getting the country going again. Right. I think it, that was the main thing, especially in Britain, anyway. We're just being on this side of the pond. Just. It seems so remote to me. You know? And Dave and I <laughs> yeah. talk about Dave and I talk about going to Europe, and I've been to Europe a couple of times. And I, at that time, mm-hmm. I really didn't have that much interest in World War II, so I didn't mm-hmm. see anything about that. But Dave and I talk about going to Europe, and all we can think of is everywhere we go, there's going to be amazing uh, World War II mm-hmm. history just lying all around. Um, yeah, the, there's most of it's sort of uh, in the museums now. Yeah. Uh, but you you know you go to the main web you know like sort of Normandy uh, the uh, the Ardennes you see all that even in the um, uh, you go down into the Alsace Lorraine uh, area I used to work in Switzerland in Basel um, and Alsace Lorraine was just across the border and in the, the Vosges Mountains there's still all the German pillboxes and everything mm. uh, and sort of things like that. Uh, you go to uh, where else have I been? You go to uh, Eben Amel, where the German uh, glider troops oh, yeah. uh, assaulted this fort. Mm-hmm. That fort is still there, and they've got guides to take you around it. Um, the Maginot Line is they're still uh, they're they're open to the public. They can go into them now. Um, dotted all over Holland, there's several places. Uh, the whole West Wall, uh, there's a lot of the uh, emplacements, and uh, once a year they've got an open day where you can uh, do a, a tour in the peninsula. Uh, north of Amsterdam, and you can actually go around all the bunkers. They open them up to let the public see. And they're still, believe it or not, finding bunkers that have been covered up after the war. Wow. Um, uh, Henny, Ven- Henny Vandersam uh, went down to visit one weekend, and instead of playing ESL, he took me on a visit around the local area. Uh, so we, we actually saw some of the defences that the Germans put up uh, around uh, Amersfoort. And you can understand, you know, like the, the killing zones and everything, the bunkers were self-supporting. And when you saw them all set up, they're all set up at key points and such like. And it was it was very interesting having him as a local guide. Um, he actually took me to the Russian war graves where uh, a lot of the Russians that fought against the Germans on Tessum uh, Island, um, they were prisoners of war who agreed to fight for the Germans and they were using uh, flat batteries on Tessel Island on the, the first island in the island chain north uh, in Holland when you're going from the west to the east and uh, they decided that the war was going badly and it wasn't going to be good for them so they rose up against their German friends comrades, whatever you want to call them and they basically put them to the knife and then went into the countryside and the Germans tried to, the Germans managed to capture some of them, but a lot of them were kept hidden by the, the actual Dutch farmers and the local people. Uh, and the, the graves of the ones that were caught and shot uh, are down in Amersfoort. So seeing all those, there was, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the Russian people in that cemetery. So that was a bit of an eye-opener to me. I didn't know about that. No, I hadn't heard um, about that. I know there were some other conscripts being used, of course, yeah. but... Yeah. But, um, yeah, March Madness Pack uh, several years ago brought out an actual pack called the Texel Pack, and that's what it was covering, the the Russians fighting the Germans on Dutch soil, which was a bit unusual. A lot Most people didn't know about uh, this at the time. 
So it was a bit uh, strange, you know, getting this scenario pack. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> Russian German, it's normally associated with East Front, and here it was on the West Front. Right. So you've played uh, lots of war games over the years, and um, what is it about ASL that really uh, attracted you? Um, I, I liked the, the sort of the unit sizes, and I liked the way the game played. It was just something different from. It was more, you know, as I said, as a squad leader, it's, it's a smaller unit size. Instead of moving battalions around or companies around on you know cardboard counters, it was, you know, you you, you felt a bit more closer to the what you were playing, and you know, t- you know taking out buildings with squads and such like, or taking out single tanks. Whereas before it was. With all the games I had, it was all the likes of you know companies and platoons of vehicles. So it was, I think it was the scale more than anything that got me, and also the fact that uh, it was ex- it was an expanding system that's still going on now, uh, and there's always more scenarios being released for it. And you know, it's it just caught my interest basically, it just hooked me completely. Yeah, I think that's what I like about it too. Although I didn't play the um, larger scale games much. But mm-hmm. it fits my imagination better to think of one tank and a bunch of guys you know, trying to yeah. take it out. Um, we've uh, we hear you store your uh, counters in uh, the Ra- the Raco, is it the Raco? Oh Raco? yes, yes. Uh, a great wall a, of this in your yeah, the great wall of Raco. That's what um, it was. Jackson Clank who coined that phrase um, after I put some photographs on it. It's it's. Up at around about 34 or 35 uh, carry cases now. It's just getting out of hand. But my, um, I used to be a case of buy everything, but uh, over the over the last few years, I, I stopped buying cr- uh, critical hit stuff because it was just being released too much, too soon, too quickly. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, I, I saved a lot of money by not buying them. <laughs> but you, so you must have. Then you do you buy everything else, kind of. I tried to. Well, there's certain. Yeah, do you buy lots of other things? Not. Um, yes, I, I basically buy everything else as it comes out. Um, I've, I'm involved in playtesting for uh, Lone Kranach at the moment, so that's uh, that's quite interesting. I'm enjoying playing some of these yes, these uh, packs that George is producing. Oh, who's making um, that? Uh, well, at the moment I'm doing uh, well myself with some of the guys up in Aberdeen and some of the guys in, around my local area. We've been doing uh, the Konigsberg pack, and that's that's been quite a, an, an interesting one. Um, it's it's close action fighting in built up areas, and you're fighting with some real strange quality troops. And it, you know the the last play test I played. I was playing as the Germans, and I was outnumbered about two to one, if not more. Um, but in the end, I managed to keep the win purely because it was such a, a tough fight for the Russians to slog through the burnt-out buildings and the rubble. And uh, So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting playtest. I'm really looking forward to that one being released. And then you've done other. You've written articles. Is that have I seen? I haven't written any articles. Uh, my my wife has been printed in ASL, but I haven't. Um, oh. As Xavier Vitry from uh, Le Franc Tireur. Yeah. Uh, my wife actually sent a letter to him, uh, ordering some stuff for me back 
oh, it must be about 15 years ago now. Um, and uh, he was so taken by the fact that, you know, an ASL's wife had been, was actually, had written personally to him uh, to order some things for him. So the, the next uh, copy of uh, the LFT magazine, uh, my wife's letter was actually printed in it. So, <laughs> yes, my, my wife's been printed in ASL, but I haven't. <laughs> and uh, what other kind of uh, testing have you been have you done over the um, years? Over the years, I I done uh, some early stuff for uh, uh, Ray Tapio. We're back in the mm-hmm. Scotland, the Brave, and All American. I helped do that, um, and that that's the main ones that I've done. Uh, it's I wasn't doing play testing because I worked away from home so much, but uh, most of last year and a bit of the other, I was up in Aberdeen, and there's a very good uh, group up in Aberdeen. And we, I said, listen, I've been approached by George Callum about uh, doing this. Do you want do you want to do it? So the next thing was, yeah, that's great. So we got Matt, the George sent us the maps and the counters and the rooms, and we've been between the two groups, myself been playing in both groups. We've been doing quite a lot of it for him. So I've been enjoying doing that, and I've recently I haven't been able to do much in the PTO ones, um, but I did did some uh, proof proofing for uh, broken ground design Alan Finlay's counters, okay. which I think are really good in the way you know a lot of people don't like them because they're coloured. Um, well, but that's kind of but, the point of them. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's they're, they're bringing them into a sort of more modern version instead of the the official just the black silhouette. Um, I mean, he isn't the first person to do with the colored counters. Other companies have done it, but it's just the way that he's brought out counters to try and reduce the amount of info counters, so you get the fanatic counters with the nine morale already printed on them, instead of having a fanatic counter info counter on top. You know, so his idea is to try and reduce the stacks, and I think that works quite well. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I was like, I was last Friday the game I was playing. We were using. Um, official MMP maps playing um, with broken ground counters, uh, with battle school dice, with one of Steve Plever's dice towers, um, and it just went on like that. It was a complete uh, something from most companies, and we were playing it, you know, on both boards, both games that were being played. So it's, it's quite surprising just how flexible things are. And then you go to some, you go to some tournaments, and people. They they don't bought any third party stuff. They just play the official scenarios with the official counters, and you know they just, they just don't want to know anything about the third party. And you know I I admire them for that, but there, there, there's so much really good stuff coming out from um, uh, Bounty Fire, yes, George yeah. Lincanuk, and Lefranc Terrier. I mean they're the three I would rank you know the best of the third party now. Uh, BFP probably being the first, then Lefranc to Europe, and George is very close second to that, you know, to them. Um, so yeah, it's it's just you know it's it's all the third party companies that uh, kept the hobby going when Avalon Hill were stagnating. And um, I remember I came, I was not long back from work, uh, being in Germany, and there's a British Army officer, Neil Stevens, and he was importing all the third-party stuff from all the third-party companies in America uh, to make it available for the British and European players. And I just, 
I sent an order off to a local uh, game store down in London, and they sent me uh, the, their catalogue back, and there was this thing saying, you know, VTTF, uh, ASL fanzine. I thought, oh, what's that? So I phoned them up and said, how many copies do you have of how many are out? And they sent me one of every copy they had, which was about four or five at the time. Um, and that's all that Pete had actually released. So I got this, and then here's all this new stuff, and it's like, wow, this is this is all great. So within about three or four months, I'd bought every single third-party piece that uh, Neil sold. And then mm-hmm. after a few years, I kept on up, kept up with it. And um, when I finally met, met him, it was really nice to actually get to know him. And I think that's the best thing about ESL. Uh, in all the travels I've done, you know, everybody you meet, they're always quite happy to meet up with you. They're always willing to have a game. You get invited around for meals. Mm-hmm. And you go into their house, and this is the thing that really gets me, is when they when they take you to where they keep their games and their books, it's a case of, wow, I've got all these games. I've got that game. I've got all these books. And we've all got, you know, a core of things that more or less almost everybody, all the gamers I've been to, you know, we've all got the same sort of things. You know, we've all got the same sort of interests. So I think it's a, if you, you know, everybody sort of follows that path. You know, if you get into ASL, it's because you like the period and you, you also do modelling or you like buying the books or you know, like other games. And it's it's very, it's it's quite interesting because I've, like I say, I've been to several other people's uh, houses throughout the UK and the continent. And it's always the same. It's, everybody's got the same sort of theme, if you know what I mean. Yeah, a couple of comments. Um, I think Jeff and I had talked before about when people come into your basement, like, Mm -hmm. and then they don't look at your cool stuff you have all around the room, you know? (laughs) It's kind of insulting. Like, I painted all these fantasy miniatures and built all these models, and someone should look at them (laughs) And say yeah. <laughs> people who come by and don't even notice. It's, but then yeah. you're with people who are ASLers, and they're first thing they're doing. I'm, I'm even looking at Jeff's shelf over his shoulder, even though I've seen all his stuff. Yeah. You know. And when you were talking about getting the first fanzines, I actually had an image of you and I both, Ollie, <laughs> Ollie and Dave, together, going, "Oh, look at this!" <laughs> you know, wow, because yeah. you, you can't share that joy with somebody else. You know. And then when you were mentioning all those different products at the game table, the thing I think you were missing were the the two half squads OBA cards. But Uh, no, I've got a set of them. (laughs) It's just we did. We in fact, I've got two sets. Um, um, The the, the games we were playing didn't have any OBA. So well, it wouldn't hurt to keep the two half squads podcast playing in the background. <laughs> I I usually listen to it when I'm clipping counters. So did you order those back in the day when we had had those out? Or did yes, I yes I did. Okay, <laughs> I, I think I ordered that. three sets to one from a set myself and one from my two friends. You know, um, I, I think I actually remember that now that you're saying. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done the same with uh, Jackson Quan. He's just been doing some like um, poker chips with move for movement points. Um, he's been selling some of them, just small amounts. But I, um, I ordered them. I got three for them from them, and when I got home last week, I took them with me to the, the the game game day that we had, and it was a case of my two friends. Here's one each, so they got them. And um, the, one of the reasons that a lot of the guys like 
like uh, when we have a meet is the fact that you know I usually take along a folder with all the latest stuff that has been released since um, I last saw them. Um, it was the same up in Aberdeen. As soon as anything came out, it was a case of I took it up and let them have a look at it so as they could, ooh, yeah, I want to get that, or hmm, I'm glad I didn't buy that. So it's it's quite good in you know the the, the two groups in Scotland where I, I usually play. You know that's that's the way they're they're quite happy when I turn up with all the latest stuff because it gives them a chance uh, to see if it's worth buying or not. How come Jackson Quan has not told us about these um, movement uh, chips or something? What? Yeah, sounds interesting. Um, well, I'm trying to think, he he put it on Facebook a while back. Uh, oh, well, probably about two months ago. We're not in there much. He has to email us personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's, he's just had a second batch done. Um, so it, they're quite interesting. It, it's basically it's got uh, 1 to 10 around the edge. And then on one side the count, one side the coin, I've got to get this right now, it's uh, zero, 0, and then 2, 0. So it's like so you go up to 10, then you flip the coin over, and it's got a 10 and a 30. And then you go around. You keep you, there's little arrows all the way around it. So as you move, you move point. You move the coin around until you get to the the zero again. So that would be the twenty. You then flip the coin over so as it's got the twenty, and you go around ten again if it's you know got over thirty movement points. And once you get to the zero again, you flip it over and then you've got thirty on the other side. And then so it works out quite well. It's just another bit of chrome. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. But it's it's quite happy and it's it's a lot easier to follow than a you know one of the um, multi-sided dice yeah, that go 30. up to you know one to forty or whatever. Yeah. I, um, yeah. You know because you you just turn it around, turn it around until you get to ten, flip it over, around to ten. Whereas with the multi-sided dice, sometimes you've got to look for the next number. You know, some of them don't go, run round in you know beside one another, so it takes a bit more time. Um, but like I said, it's it's just another piece of chrome. But uh, it's it's quite na- quite nice to have it beside the table. Uh, so they were very pleased when I gave them that. Uh, Is there anything like that that you just wouldn't want to play without anymore? Um, like a, anymore? Uh, um, yeah. My my clever dice tower. Oh, okay, I was <laughs> going to say like a dice tower, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's because of Steve I got to my first Aslock uh, Aslock thirty. Um, because I'd been going on about, you know, because everybody knows I'm, I, I, I buy a lot and collect uh, ASL. Um, I for a long time I've had people sending emails. Oh, do you happen to have such and such there, or can you find such and such? I would source things for them, or I would sell them on a, a reasonable price. Um, and I'd been going on about yeah, the holy grail for my collection. It was after I'd been playing with uh, Henny in Holland. He had one of Steve's towers, and I, I was just in awe of it because it was so quiet and so well produced. Hi. Hi. Sorry I got, about that. I got, your, I got your message and I realized we mean cut off somehow. Yeah. The, the meter ran out on my Skype account. We <laughs> <laughs> had to pay more kind money. Of without warning, uh, it, just hung up. it just hung up on me. It didn't right. pop up and say, hey, uh, deposit another quarter. I'm not sure where I would put a quarter in. <laughs> So I had to quickly buy a, a few more sh- uh, units of Skype time. Anyway, thanks to are. our Patreon supporters for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Yeah, where so where were we? Yeah. 
about buying duplicates and being able to put stuff on eBay and stuff like that? Was that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, um, I, I, you know, people would contact me asking about uh, if I could supply them with stuff uh, or if I could help them getting things, and I was more than happy to help. Um, if I couldn't supply them, I used to get in touch with some of the other guys that knew, you know, the collectors and say, hey, do you have a copy of this? You know, I would do a deal with them and then get the people the things they wanted. So I was, I was quite happy to help people out. Uh, I didn't want, you know, I, I bought collections and if, if I went into stores in the UK and they had any ESL, um, it was a case of me, oh, how long do you have this on the shelf? Oh, if I, if I, okay, let's make a deal and I would buy basically everything they had on the shelf hmm. and then just make it available for people. Um, you know, it's, I would rather uh, a lot of the stuff that I had, I thinned it down quite a bit a few years back and it was better to have it going to people that were looking for it and I knew when resellers, and um, that's basically, you know, what what happened with a lot of the stuff because um, you know I like to help people out as well. So, but yeah, the, as for the, the dice tower, um, yes, Steve uh, had contacted me uh, saying that he was going to make the make one. Um, it was from the last material that he had, and it was for me because I sort of basically gone on so much about them. Uh, but the only proviso was I had to go to uh, Aswalk to collect it. So that was my first trip to uh, America for ASL, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was a brilliant, uh, brilliant 10 days I was over there, um, getting to meet all the faces and everybody who I'd, uh, you know, I only knew by name on uh, Game Squad or on Facebook. So, yeah, it was really good. Met, met a lot of really nice people and, Thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And you brought um, one empty suitcase with you that you could just load up with stuff. <laughs> well, no, not quite. Um, <laughs> that's a story in itself. Uh, I basically used uh, air miles for my business flight over there and back. And um, I, I, I make aluminium dice towers myself. Uh, I took 24 dice towers over with me to sell. Oh. Uh, so. The bag that the, the bag that went over with the dice towers went back with all the stuff I bought because I, I bought stuff for people in the UK as well. And in the end, uh, I actually had to uh, ditch some clothes because I was given some things as gifts on the last day, and I didn't have room in my bag. So yeah, jeans was got put in the bin and some t-shirts and such like just to make room. So uh, yeah, I didn't go back uh, empty-handed. That's for sure. So, uh, other than that, how do you get? Um, s- how do you receive merchandise? Like, does the MMP? How long does it take MMP when they release something to get it overseas and into your hands? How does it usually? Usually, yeah. Usually, it's pretty quick. Um, there's a, a company, Second Chance Games, in Liverpool. They're the main importer of ASL into basically into Europe, um, and they've got a deal struck up with MMP now, so they get it fairly quick. Um, but we normally pay in pounds what you guys pay in dollars because it's just not worth ordering direct from MMP. Now, I used to do it all the time. But now, if a module, say, costs $145, it usually costs about $120 to have it shipped to the UK. Wow. And then when, when it arrives in the UK, the UK Customs and Excise go and put their 25% of not just the price of the module, but the price of the shipping as well. Wow. 
So $145 module becomes $265 um, to get it here. And then they add another 70, 70 likes of $70 onto that. So we're paying well over double, you know, two and a half times the price for a module, ordering it direct from M&P now. And the same for Europe as well. That'll come down, though, so, uh, after Brexit, won't it? Well, we're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Big savings. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned you clip counters. Um, yeah. Do you have any special tools or techniques? Uh, do you, how many, have, uh, you, have you clipped everything you own? It sounds like you have tons of counters. Um, yeah. My, every single uh, ASL counter is almost clipped now. Um, uh, but I've clipped all the counters for SFB, and I also play GMT's Great Battles of Ancient History. So they're all clipped, and then several solo games. I play solo games, um, uh, um, Silent Hunter, uh, no, sorry, The Hunters. um, It's a company who, it's basically World War II submarine games. uh, So they've got one for the Pacific with American subs. They've got the German subs. They've brought out a World War I set, and they've just brought out another module for um, Zeppelins. So I've I've got them and they're all clipped. Uh, and I t- usually take one of them away with me uh, to give me something to play other than computer games or clip counters because you know <laughs> like I ran out of counters to do on my last trip. So, uh, but that was the last counters that I needed to clip for the the collection. But um, I use a clippers by a company called Oregon Laminations. And it was of all people, Chris Dory of Battle School oh, that nice. actually got me clipping counters, he let me see some photographs and saying, hey, I've got this wonderful tool that does this. And there was a case of, ooh, I like that. Um, and I didn't like the, the the C4 cutter that people, well, I think it was a C4 or C8 cutter yeah. that people used because as it wore out, you were getting irregular sized corners. And I, I didn't like the hexagonal shaped counter. Uh, I yeah, liked the rounded corners and the rest of As you clipped it, it could cut away part of that plastic frame, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so well, it took me about five years to click, uh, to click all my ASL counters. Um, <laughs> so. I have, I do none. Jeff had, had hired his daughters to do some for him. <laughs> I did. Yeah. That was their first job, and they, they were really not very good at it. So I fired them <laughs> after a while. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, um, I've, it was Chris that, like I said, he got me started, and then, uh, my friends are doing, you know, clipping it now, um, and uh, Martin Vicker, known as uh, Vinny on Game Squad, uh, he started doing it for all his broken ground counters. But he said, "That's it. I'm only doing them. I'm not doing my core set," because <laughs> um, he had enough. Uh, but I, I must admit, um, I, I just towards the end, I was getting really fed up clipping. In the case of once you start, you've got to finish. <laughs> this and, is true. Uh, yeah. Most people I'd now tell them to be very careful about their decision whether they're going to clip or not. Uh, <laughs> a, because it does take a while. Right. And then you don't want to go to the uh, to your mailbox because <laughs> in case something else just shows up just when you thought you yeah. were done. Well, that's it. Um, my, my wife was, you know, when I'm away, she said, there's another parcel arrived, you know. Yeah, right. There's people, uh, you know, things that uh, came back. I mean, this this trip, I had a whole load of copies of um, 
Wimber Fences magazine that I'd done the trade in because I, I make uh, double-size A4 folders out of aluminium for storing the mats flat. So I've, I traded these in for uh, one of these folders. Uh, that's being sent off to the States tomorrow. Um, and there's a whole load of other things uh, that had arrived from ASL. So, yeah, there's some new counters I've got to clip, but uh, they've already been done. So... Uh, did you run an ASL club at the Highlander Games in Dundee? Yes, I did. <clears throat> um, I, I actually ran it in uh, the Masonic Lodge in my hometown uh, for a couple of years before I started contracting away from home. And um, We used to get guys coming from all over Scotland for that uh, one Sunday a month. And then once I left, a couple of guys said, yeah, we'll keep this up. But it very rapidly went by the wayside. Um because, again, I used to take everything down. This is part of the reason I've got so much was uh, so much kit. I bought my whole idea of having, running a club was that all the people had to do was turn up with the scenarios that they wanted to play in the rule book, and I could supply the rest. You know, the maps, dice, um, counters, and it sort of became a habit, so that's why I ended up buying multiples, and I've got so many counters now. And then... Once I got back to a more regular being at home, um, we started having a regular meet in Highlander Games in Dundee. Uh, they've got several rooms that we could use. So we had people going for that. And then that was fine. Uh, Pete Phillips was coming up to help run it. And he actually took over running it. But then he got in his final year at university and he didn't have enough time. And I was, again, working away from home. So it fell by the wayside. But we now have... We try and get every few months get a bunch of us together and have a game of you know a day a day of gaming, and that's what we had last Friday. So, what do you like to play when you get together uh, in these little? I, I I like a bit of everything. It's like um, the the one that I played against my friend John last Friday was called the Kings of. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Something Dorf. Um, it was basically IS-2s and T-3485s and some infantry have got to capture either a road or get three vehicles off the board. Um, and they've got four King Tigers to stop them, along with some SS and uh, regular Wehrmacht troops. Um, and it got down to uh, the the victory condition for the scenario we played was he, the Russians either had to get three vehicles off the board or they had to get an IS-2 onto a specific X. Um, I had two King Tigers covering the the hex that he had to get into, and he, I'd already killed... Or he, he got two tanks off, but he couldn't get this last tank off the board, otherwise he would have been giving me side shots and rear shots to uh, kill him. So he went for the road, and I realised too late that he moved into the road hex using half a movement point, and that was only going to give me one shot each, and it wouldn't allow me to do any intensive firing either. So I knew that it was a case of if I don't kill him, if I don't hit him and kill him, that's a game over. But he was humming and hawing, and, and I told him, he said, just do it, John. It's it's the the winner of the game. You know, if, if I don't kill you, you've won. So he moved in, used the last half movement point, and then one of the other guys said, that was sneaky. And John didn't realise the significance of it. And uh, I fired with both King Tigers. Both had minus leaders in them. Uh, both missed. Uh, that was a game over. So it was, a, you know, it was a really good game. 
Um, but I don't always play late war heavy metal. I, I like a lot of early war. Um, it's, it can be more fun playing with tin cans, um, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I play most things. Uh, the bogey for me, unfortunately, is Americans. I can never play and win as the Americans, and if I'm playing against the Americans, I can never beat them. So the, the, the Americans are my bogey when it comes to playing ESL. You know, it's damned if I do, damned if I don't. So. What about uh, campaign games? Do you get much time to play something really big? We like don't have a lot of time to play cam- campaign games. A friend, uh, Dave, who only lives six miles away, Dave Blackwood, um, he had a, a hobby shed um, out in his garden, and it took us, I think it was three and a half years to play First Bid from Valor of the Guard. Oh, oh that was longer than I took. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's because he worked shift work, and when I was home, he was working, uh, or I was away and he was available. And so, and then it got to the point where um, they were converting the garage in the house to uh, a playroom for the boys. So all the stuff that was kept in the garage had to go to the shed. So Dave lost his gaming shed. Uh, so that the game came to an end, but we both agreed that uh, myself as a German had uh, had beaten him. Um, I was, I, it was a tight, it was a tight game for a while, but uh, I I controlled about three quarters of the map in the end. So and most of the harbour, you know, most of the harbour points for it. So yeah, it was, it was, that's about the longest time I've ever played a game. Campaign games, we've started ones, but we've never finished. Again, purely because of uh, our work styles over here, you know, we're trying to get time to actually play it is at a minimum. Is it something you'd like to do more of if you if time oh, comes yes. up? So you do Definitely. like you like to play them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know I've, I've looked into it and I've picked forces for scenarios and you know for the startups for several of them. Um, you know, it's I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the curse, the new curse one coming out when it does come out. Um, I've, I've already had the playtest for Red October for several years, and I've seen the, you know I've had both maps together, and it's a case of I want to play on this, you know I want to play the campaign where you take it's a campaign from Red Barricades and one from Red Factories, sorry Red October, and you combine them into one big scenario. Um, and Dave and I have both expressed the you know desire to play that. Um, we've played a couple of the mini campaigns type ones from Lundanak. Um, they've been quite good. We've enjoyed doing that. But as for the, the big, you know, like if the fishing modules or such like, uh, you know, they're just pipe dreams at the moment. Maybe for when I retire in a few years' time. Right. Mm-hmm. You and me. <laughs> um, you know, Jeff he used to be a whiskey fan. He's kind of become a Tito's vodka person. <laughs> I understand that you had brought some really fine malt whiskey to Aslock a while back. Is that <laughs> yes, true? Yeah, I did, yes. Did you just use that to ply your opponents and to get them to make gaming mistakes? That would oh, do no, it. no, 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 no. This, this, was a, this was a special bottle I took over because it was uh, because it was the 30th anniversary. I took over a bottle of uh, 30-year-old malt with me. Mm-hmm. And there's a select few people who knew that I was bringing it, got invited to try it. So uh, we had one round of drinks, and that was a bottle empty. <laughs> wow. That's a big pour. A few, I like that. I'm gonna... <laughs> I like a nice big pour. Yeah. What kind was it? What did yeah. you bring? Uh, it, was a, it was a whiskey called Longmorn, 
which is a, a local Highland malt, mm. um, and uh, it's it's a very fine malt. And uh, most people who tasted it were <laughs> basically said, "Yep, I'll never taste anything like that again." <laughs> they, they were very impressed with it. So, mm, um, but good. one of the guys sort of when he found out what it was, he sort of went online uh, over in the states to see how much the bottle was. And it was a lot more expensive in America than I paid for it in the UK. Um, but when they heard how much it was over there, it was a case of, and you're giving this to us? It's only whiskey. Um, but most of the tournaments I go to, I take a, a good bottle of whiskey. Um, the the Arnhem tournament, we used to have some of the Germans coming up, um, uh, Martin Koch and the likes, and we, we've we all got a liking for you know malt whiskey. So we all bring whiskey along to taste. Um, and they're always uh, interested to see what I bring along. Yeah, I I I, I, I like uh, a good dram, as they say over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we do too. But it's only <laughs> five o'clock here. Oh, it's five o'clock, Dave. It's time. Yeah. Oh, to break it, open the box. It, it's four minutes after five o'clock now. So it's quitting time. Right, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, um, I understand yeah. you're also a Freemason. Is that true? Yeah, that's true, yes. Can you reveal any secrets from... (laughs) (laughs) Any secrets uh, have got to stay with me, I'm afraid. You you can read a lot about it in uh, in books and online. You know, a lot of it is... It's a lot more open now than it used to be. Yes, that's what Um, I understand. Oh, for real? Okay, I thought you meant read a bunch of, like, crazy theories online about it. Yeah, there's there's all sorts, but... my, I'm sorry, my number, my number one son got my number two son when he was pr- fairly young. Mm-hmm. I, he get, For some reason, my son Aaron was afraid of, of the, the Masons. And Ooh. we would pass this place on the way to church, and my older yeah. son and his friend would point to it and make him afraid. So when oh. we got to Ohio, uh, my wife's stepdad was oh. – or no, wait, is that right? Uh, yeah, was – um. In the Freemasons, and so he showed mm-hmm. him his hat and showed him a few things, not secrets, <laughs> but yeah. convinced my son that it's nothing spooky or scary. So yeah, there's there, <laughs> no, there's nothing. It's um, uh, a lot of people uh, say it's akin to the likes of um, the round table, you know, where you you know the local community gets help from them. Um, it's uh, the uh, yeah I can't really say much about it, but it's it's there's nothing untoward about it. It's <laughs> of course not. Been very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, indeed. Especially somebody that's traveling, and it's probably yeah, a, a yeah. similar group um, to the kind of people you meet traveling around and playing ASL. You know, uh, just good people. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. You know when it's a nice um, club. when I was over in America, I was had a vacation over on the west coast with my family. And it was a case of I, I got invited to go because people knew I was going. But uh, it was a case of I didn't want to leave my wife, you know, in the RV with the two daughters whilst I was at a meeting, which was, you know, it was unfortunate. But um, it was a family holiday, so uh, it was one of these things I don't mind. Um, but I visited uh, lodges in Holland and uh, Switzerland. Um, never managed to make it to one in Germany. Uh, but uh, it's it's, again, it's something that, you, it's a shared interest with people, and you're always made most welcome. Uh, that's that's the the other thing about it. You know, you're always made welcome. And um, I even went to a, an American military one when I was 
in Interlink in Turkey. Uh, on a, it was a Turkish airbase, but it was controlled by the Americans. Oh. And there was uh, one of the squadrons had an actual traveling lodge with them. So uh, I attended that, and that was uh, quite interesting. Just seeing the different ways they, they do things. So uh, that was uh, mm-hmm. something different. Well, we should probably wrap it up, I guess. If you have any last words you'd like okay. to share with the community? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as crazy as some people think. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the impression that you were crazy at all. Not at all. So. But yeah, I met you uh, in, in, in real, in, uh, face-to-face. Maybe you're different. Maybe yeah. you come off different, a little nutty. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Well, it's been and absolutely really interesting talking to you. Yes, very interesting talking yeah. with you, Ali. Thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks for taking the time. All your input no and ideas and um, sharing your experiences. So Hope you stay in yeah. touch and uh, hope we can see you and meet you sometime. Yes, likewise. I'll pressurize Pete Phillips. Yes, yes, do that, please. Yeah. Yes. Okay, no All right. problem. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Right. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a very nice discussion with Oliver. Amazing. Nice guy. Very nice guy. And we're, we are not members of, of Freemasonry, but uh, he is welcome in our homes. I'm going to include you in that. He's welcome in our homes. Any, Oliver, anytime, we forgot to tell you, but anytime you get to Chicago, let us know and we'll bring you down to the broadcast foxhole. Yep. It was just fascinating, wasn't it? And it was. Yeah. Very so good. We'll to call that a show then? I think we'll call it a show. Uh, great to see you, Dave. And what's what's on well, the docket for later? Well, you mean for later tonight? <laughs> well, uh, well, we have to cover Red Factories at some right. point. Uh, Winter Offensive Bonus Pack 10. We've That's, just been so busy. We don't even have time for like some of the biggest deals in, yeah. happening in the ASL world today. And uh, were you going to plan a show with... Uh, yeah, next week I'll be recording a show with Rich Spilkey and whoever happens to drop in on that extravaganza. So that should be fun. As I finish Rich up is my, always good. my busy end of the year. David is finishing up the end of the year school as he does every year for the last 35, Four, 34 years. years. And this will be his final year and then you'll be done. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then a contest coming up too sometime next time. Oh, yes. Next time. Yeah, next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening. Remember to roll low. And rally well. Except when you're... Yeah, not when you're playing (laughs) us. Well, not when you're playing us. Not when you're playing us. Right. Yeah, except when you're playing us. Yeah, it doesn't really roll the same way. But not when you're playing us. Yeah. Right. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.